Welcome back to See Here Feel. Today I am excited to be speaking with Dr. Bacha Mesquita. Dr. Bacha Mesquita is the author of Between Us How Cultures Create Emotions. This is one of my favorite books right now. It's an amazing book. I highly recommend it. She is a social psychologist, scientist, and a pioneer of cultural psychology. She spent much of her life in the Netherlands before moving to the U.S. for her postdoctoral years at the University of Michigan. At that institution, she was part of the culture and cognition group that played a key role in the start of cultural psychology. She subsequently worked in North Carolina at Wake Forest University, and currently she is a distinguished professor of psychology at the University of Leuven in Belgium, where she studies the role of culture and emotions and of emotions in culture and society. She directs the Center for Social and Cultural Psychology in Leuven, and she has numerous honors and awards, most recently receiving the Outstanding Contribution to Advances in Cultural Psychology Award by the Society for Personality and Social Psychology in 2022. You can find more information about her on her website, which will be linked in the show notes. It is also www.bachamesquita.com. Thank you so much to Bacha for spending some time with me. I am, as I said, so excited. Thank you, Christina, for having me. This is really a wonderful opportunity to talk. First off, would you mind sharing a personal anecdote? Not at all. There are many. I think immigrants usually have a lot of anecdotes to tell. When I first came to the United States, I actually didn't know so well how to respond when people made me compliments or praised me. And so you just did that. And I'm trying to be smooth about it. But my <laughs> native response would be to be very embarrassed and look at the floor and say that I'm just an ordinary p person and there's nothing special about me. And so that happened a lot when I first came to the U.S., that people compliment each other a lot, and including me, I would say. And I had no idea how to respond to that. So rather than saying, oh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I would say, oh, no, not at all. That book wasn't that great. I had many of those kind of experiences. That makes sense to me. I agree about the compliment thing because I think the culture that I grew up in, you're supposed to be humble and no one ever taught me how to accept a compliment. I heard a lecture by a professor in management at Yale, and she was talking about charisma. She was talking from an American culture perspective, which I didn't realize at the time because I hadn't read your book yet. She was saying, when you get a compliment, charismatic people, what they do is they bask. Just for a moment, they'll just say, thank you, or oh, or just smile or something. It was revolutionary to me. I was like, oh, is that what you're supposed to do when you get a compliment? But I realized after I would try it out a couple times, I realized, oh, it makes everyone feel better. In the book, I describe emotions as a dance. People in different cultures dance differently. Complimenting somebody in that way is a very unusual step in the Dutch dance, but also that the response then is not practiced or not scripted. So it's just one of those moments where you feel like you trip when you're in another culture. Of course, there are many more of those examples, but I think that is one of the ways in which you can see that the way emotions are done, emotions like pride or embarrassment or humbleness is very much socially and culturally embedded and yeah. not something that you 
do by yourself, even though when you're in your native environment, you never think that it's cultured. Yet when you cross the boundaries or are in another context, it's very clear that you somehow misfit. Your book, as I said, it really has revolutionized my thinking on emotions because I really thought before reading it that emotions are mine inside of me. Your book really talks about your concept of acronyms, mine and ours, which I loved. Could you talk about that a little bit? I think that especially in Western cultures, people think about emotions as mine. So that's the acronym for mental feelings inside a person and they're essential, by which I mean that we think that we have emotions in our body or in our head, in our mind. They're always the same. And I'm In the book, I'm referring to the movie Inside Out because I think that's the perfect representation of how we tend to think about it as little creatures that live in our head and that are elicited, but that are really making up who we are. And then the idea is that they're always the same, right? Whether you're angry at your child or angry at the state of the world or angry at your partner is all this the same emotions. In many other cultures, but I would say that holds for us too, emotions are not seen primarily as mental states, but primarily as something you do with other people. So I call that relational acts in the, the body. So that's the R from ours. And so they're outside the person and they're situated. So my anger at my child is very different than the anger at the state of the world if only because the other person responds really differently. So how the anger evolves makes it a very different creature. If you look more, and if you pay more attention to the hours aspects of your emotion, the way in which your emotions are tied to the outside world, you can also understand a lot more about them. If we look at what do our emotions do in a relationship, we can maybe understand why we have some emotions. So like when I'm angry, that is probably the act of not accepting what is happening in the relationship. And when I'm sad, I'm taking a different kind of position. I do say that I don't like the state of the world, that, you know, that things are lost and negative, but I don't say I'm entitled to a better treatment or that I'm not going to accept it. Looking at emotions in this way of, what do they do in relationships and what do other people do in response to them is, I think, a really enriching approach to our emotional lives. Thank you. This hours model resonates with me. I think that's true for my kids. I've always said this and teachers will say that too. We see a different kid oftentimes at school than what you might see at home. And I think that's because of the way that they're doing their emotions. They may be just as frustrated at school, but they express it completely differently than they do with me. To add to that, they may be differently frustrated too, because they know with you that they have a lever to change your behavior. And at school, they probably have to accept more what they get dealt with. The idea that the emotion is really the same, but it comes out differently, maybe challenge. The whole situation at school is a different one than the situation at home. And they get frustrated. They can count on a very different response from their own mom than from the teacher who has to deal with 20 or 30 kids and has to get on with her classes and the material to be learned. The meaning making in the situation is different and the feelings are too probably. Yes. 
I love your idea of this cultural aspect of emotions and not necessarily just culture like a Dutch culture or a Korean culture or a Korean American culture. How, you know, in immigrant subsequent generations, the children of Korean parents who had immigrated were no longer quote unquote Korean the way their parents were. So even within a family, there can be multiple cultures. And then also you have an idea of cultural switching from work versus home or other environments. And you go on to write, female gender roles for emotions are still rewarding and acceptable at home. If this is true, you are saying many women are switching emotional cultures in their everyday lives in traditionally male professional environments. Can you talk about those concepts a little bit? I think they're slightly different concepts, although you can say one way of looking at emotions is that we always have the same emotions, but people like you and I who have been exposed to different cultures, and now I'm talking national cultures, you can say we have parts of these different cultures integrated in our emotional life. And this is one of the big topics of study, how we actually combine those different emotions from different cultures. And you could say never fully Dutch anymore, and I'm never fully American either. I just got stuck somewhere in the middle. In the case of Korean Americans, we find also that Korean Americans are more Korean at home and more American at work. And we find something similar for a different group of immigrants, Turkish people in Belgium. So it's possible that we just adjust to the expectations of the environment and emotions do things. Every environment likes emotions to do different things. If I am in an American environment, what I want to do with other people is make them feel unique, increase their self-esteem, make them feel special. That's in my everyday interactions in America. In the Netherlands, I would say the goal is more to feel equal, not unique. My mother used to say, act normal, not special enough. So it was really this idea of everybody is the same. But what you do try to emphasize is the connectedness. Everybody is the same and egalitarian. We are connected. That would be more the emphasis. It's very possible. We also find differences in, for example, the role of anger. In some cultures, anger is good to assert yourself. In other cultures, it's good to not assert yourself and adjust. And so the role of anger and shame are very different. And you can see that people switch from making anger more prominent to making another emotion, for example, shame more prominent. Just to come back to your women in the workplace, cultural boundaries are very fluid, but also we're all part of different cultures. And I think gender culture is one of those. I recite an example from my own working life where I was the director of a center and I was in a meeting with other directors who, for the most part, male. The meeting went on and I didn't think my group was getting what we deserved. And I started to cry. And that was totally not well received. People thought it was awful. People reminded me that I had cried. They were belittling me. And when I thought about it, I thought... This is a different kind of relational goal. Crying is saying, I need your help uh, for my well-being. I need you to help me. And that may be 
perfectly okay for a private context and especially for the less powerful person in the private context, which women still are often. But crying doesn't meet a professional norm. It was a meeting with a lot of screaming and people being angry and indignant, an emotion where you say, I'm not accepting it. You need to do something different. Whereas my emotion of crying was an emotion of invoking help. And so what I'm saying is that the emotion that is suitable and functional and meets the purpose in one context may not be the emotion that is useful and and beneficial in another context. The example of gender is one example, but of course, there are many examples. The emotions you have in an adult relationship also are not very useful in a relationship to your own child, right? That's a different kind of emotional relationship where you want to meet different kinds of goals. Yeah. How do you then be authentic? It's one of the hardest questions, I think. The concept of authenticity is tied to the idea that some emotions are more you than others, necessarily or almost biologically or naturally. I do think that certain constructions of yourself in the world are more effective than other constructions Mm -hmm. of yourself in the world. And also that you can adjust your emotions, start seeing the world in a slightly different way. So I do think it has to do with how you make meaning and meaning making is subject to control. What we also know, and this is interesting, is that in Western culture, where we think of our emotions as authentic, it is much more costly to suppress those emotions than in a lot of other cultures where people see emotions more as really things that we do in a certain environment. And so if your vision on emotions is an hour's vision, and you think of emotions as this is what is needed, there's research that if Chinese customer servants change their emotions into smiling, they start feeling that way and that it doesn't harm them at all. They don't feel inauthentic and they don't suffer from burnout or alienation. We do find burnout or alienation for people who think that their own feelings are authentic. It's a complicated answer. I think the answer to, is it possible to construct your emotions in a way that may be not traditionally accepted in the workplace? Yes. Absolutely. Can the workplace ultimately be changed when a lot of people do that? Yes, probably. If you have enough people doing that, the workplace just becomes a different place. Certainly possible to reshape your work environment and to Mm -hmm. reshape cultures. Cultures are made by people. If we all start doing our emotions differently, we have a different emotional culture. At the same time, you cannot by yourself change an emotion culture. If you come into a culture where the majority of people have different kind of relational purposes, like being on top of things, being in control, being independent, asserting yourself, being a strong person, defending their group's rights, then crying may not be as effective. And you just have to be aware of that. I'm going to continue this conversation in a part two because I really don't want to shortchange all of the good things that Dr. Mesquita has to say about the emotions that are between us, relational and situational, and how we can do the emotional dance better. Thank you to Bacha for spending time today, and we'll continue next week. <laughs>